the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Hour number two is underway now, seven minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, still the 17th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. And you know the bagpipes, you know what that means. It's time for Rowdy Everett Piper, Dr. Everett Piper, not always Rowdy, just uh, just occasionally, usually when he's writing books. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper is a former university president. <clears throat> he is a columnist for the Washington Times. He is the best-selling author of Not a Daycare and his newest, which is Wake Up, Life is Not Safe, But It's Good. And he joins us for his regular commentary visit this uh, morning on AM 1420. The Answer, Dr. Piper, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. You know, I'm, I was uh, glad to reference, I try to reference it all the time anyway, but uh, I was glad to reference um, Not a Daycare because your column in the Washington Times this past Sunday um, was kind of a bit of a an addendum to that. You know, we talk about what happens when we provide safe spaces for the little snowflakes who need to be coddled with their coloring books and their support animals and so forth at the college level. What kind of adults are they going to turn out to be? How are they going to be able to handle the challenges that come with adulting um you know if this is the way we treat them while they're in 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 college if we treat them like they're in a daycare center and i think we found an answer to that at least to some extent and you found it on a tennis court can you please explain well you know i start out my column this past week with the washington times where i it's kind of an i told you so commentary where i'm saying you know in 2017 when i wrote not a daycare the devastating consequences of abandoning truth, I I warned y'all. I said, what's taught today in our colleges is going to be practiced tomorrow in our culture. Garbage in, garbage out. And if you continue to teach self-absorption and narcissism at Berkeley and Brown, they're going to graduate, and they're not going to leave that nonsense there. They're going to take it with them, and they're going to end up in our culture, in our courtrooms, in our boardrooms, and even on our tennis courts pouting and prancing and saying, I don't like the questions you asked me, therefore I'm literally going to pick up my ball and go home. Thus the story of Naomi Osaka. Just this, uh, at the end of the month, I think, it was, I think it was the 31st, as we entered into the month of June, she walked off of Roland Garros. She walked away from the French Open. And why did she do that? Because she didn't like reporters asking her questions, and I quote, that caused her to doubt herself. She didn't want anybody compromising her sense of self. This woman has made $55.2 million so far this year playing a game, playing tennis. And part of the responsibility of professional tennis is that you sit before reporters and answer their questions before and after games, after matches. 
she doesn't like the fact that they're asking her why she doesn't perform as well on clay as she does the hardcore. And therefore, her solution is leave me alone. I want to be coddled. I don't want you compromising my sense of self. You're creating doubt by asking me difficult questions. I make 55 million bucks as it is. I'm going to pick up my ball and go home. <laughs> this stuff is predictable, Bob. We created this monster. You know I refer to Mary Shelley's classic work, Frankenstein, in my article, where we've created a bunch of little monsters. Like you said before the break, we've pretended to be as God. We've pretended to be Dr. Frankenstein. We've created human beings in our own image. We think we can do a better job than God has done himself, and we've created all these little monsters that are turning around in narcissistic fashion and biting the hand that raised them. We are responsible for this. Helicopter parenting, bad teaching, and bad preaching has resulted in a bunch of people to the point where we've got multimillionaires taking their ball and going home because they don't like hard questions. The great summary, I think, that you uh, made in your article quoting Solomon, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Then you write, there is great power in ideas, and what we teach our children will result in either noble or narcissistic ends. And that's exactly what Naomi Osaka's condition right now is, is you know, an example of. Uh, narcissism and a retreating to safe spaces when things aren't exactly as they want them to be, exactly in, in, in honoring them them or in um, uh, giving them the, the attention that they want, which is always positive, if anything negative dares to invade their safe space, or rather dares to invade their public space, that's when they want to return to their safe space. The same thing they learned growing up. Yeah. I, I actually cite an excellent article in Quillet by a guy by the name of Steve Salerno, where he mm -hmm. critiques this self-esteem culture that we've created in our schools. And he says this. Filling kids with boatloads of self-love didn't accomplish much, but it did accomplish something. Terrible teaching in terrible schools have produced hordes of young, young adults whose frustrated sense of entitlement has left, left them feeling miserable and anxious. It's their fixation on self-actualization rather than personal responsibility have left them with a sense of disillusion. So we have the, the cause for the riot for BLM, for critical race theory, for this anger, for this vitriol, for this victimization, for this vice, for vengeance, and for the violence. We created it by fixating on self-actualization and selfishness and filling kids with boatloads of self-love. And that's what we're seeing in this poster child of this week's blue, win this month's blue ribbon winner of narcissism the narcissistic award of the month goes to naomi osaka no question about it very well said now dr piper let's pivot to narcissism of a different kind i think you can make or if you wanted to you could make a comparison here when you talk about pride month you talked about pride month last week um in great detail and we talked about the sinfulness of pride and and i think that can rise to the level of narcissism but at any rate, let's uh, merge that with faith now, as has happened at Notre Dame. You know, one of the world's most well-known Catholic universities, Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, um, they have decided Catholicism takes a backseat to Pride Month, and they have decided to celebrate it as such. And you say what to that? Well, you know, I cited, and I, uh, you as a Catholic appreciate this, I'm sure, and all faithful Catholics probably appreciate this. You might want to go back to Pope Gregory, 
in 600 A.D., where he cited pride as one of the seven deadly sins. You know, if you're a Catholic institution, a Catholic university, before you start flying a flag celebrating pride, you might want to attend to Pope Gregory himself, who declared that very thing to be one of the seven deadly sins. Isn't it rather ironic that a Catholic institution would be celebrating pride? Uh, So pay attention to your own church history. Pay attention to your own church teaching. Pay attention to the Bible. Pay attention to Pope Gregory. And I would, as an evangelical, you know, a week or two we talked about this, and I said, pay attention to C.S. Lewis, who said, pride is the complete anti-state god of mind. It is the sin that leads to all others. And the fact that our culture is celebrating an entire month of pride speaks volumes. And I would argue the Church should be leading in the opposite direction rather than marching along like lemmings in this parade of an emperor that has no clothes celebrating pride. The um, the Church, at least as represented by Catholic organizations uh, like the Catholic News Agency, and this is an article that you tweeted about, or you tweeted out rather, that is discussing Notre Dame's uh, acquiescence, if you will, to the LGBTQ movement. Uh, the Catholic news agency celebrating this does point out, uh, you know, the, the the discriminations, I guess, that the LGBTQ community has faced in the past, and they cite the Stonewall Uprising of 1969, which is something, by the way, of which I was not aware, in which police raided uh, what was known as a gay club in the city and led to violent protests outside the bar. Uh, I'm not suggesting that our church, and I know you're not a Catholic, but even as a Christian, but I'm not suggesting that they should be completely um, silent about these kinds of things. But once again, uh, you can condemn uh, the action. What does the old saying go? Um, you, you, You can love the sinner, but hate their sin. It sounds like what the church is trying to do here is start to tell people to go ahead and love the sin as well. Yeah, um, you know that I, I'm critical of a, a book that just came out this week from my side of the church aisle, the evangelical side, the Wesleyan side, the Methodist side, and it's authored by a woman from the Nazarene Church. Now, the Nazarene Church is a, is a, is a flagship holiness church. It's a church that stands for sanctification, being set apart for holiness under the Lord. It's a church that says it holds on tightly to the teachings of John and Charles Wesley, who were the founders of the Methodist movement back in the mid-1700s. Two men whom many historians will say rescued Great Britain from the fate of France and the French Revolution. Now, what was the message of the Methodist movement? It was the methods of holy living, the methodical, obedient, habitual life of living a holy life before God. It was basically, look, you may have your orthodoxy right, but you need to get your orthopraxy right. You need to practice what you preach. You need to need to be a man and a woman of integrity and integrate head and heart and fact and faith and belief and behavior. Behave in a manner consistent with the way you say you believe. But yet, this week, a published a book is coming out from a woman who says she's in good standing with the Nazarene Church. She says it right on the jacket cover, and the title of the book is Queering Wesley and Queering the Church. Now, this would... (laughs) Trust me, John and Charles Wesley are rolling over in their graves right now. Wesley is one who said, give me a book, the one book, the book of God. I am a man of one book. He also said, 
Um, what did, let's see. Let's see. Uh, the, the singularity. He said, "You must be singular or be damned." The way to heaven has singularity written all over it. The way to hell has nothing singular in it. John Wesley would have been the last one to give you a great big kumbaya group hug by celebrating all paths leading to the same summit. He believed in the exclusivity of the Christian faith and of the gospel, but yet we have an evangelical Nazarene Wesleyan publishing a book saying, queering the church and queering Wesley. We've lost our minds, and we've sold our souls. Well, yeah, if you buy this and, and if you don't re, you know, push back against this, which you are obviously doing and hoping that other Christians will as well, because that is exactly correct. Uh, this is, this is the polar opposite of what was intended, certainly by Wesley, certainly by, uh, you know, by, by faithful people of faith. Queering the church has been a concern for a lot of people. In, in fact, speak to this if you could in a, in a minute or two here before the break. Um, some in the LGBTQ support community, not necessarily people who are, you know, gay or, or whatever the other alphabet there stands for, have said that the church is the last group on earth to be able to teach us about moral, uh, morals and sexual norms, considering, of course, the priest, the Catholic priest abuse scandal, uh, the number of, of boys victimized by pedophile priests, indicating that the church should not be speaking to anybody about sexual norms. How do you respond to that, Dr. Piper? Well, there's, you're sawing off the branch upon which you set, because you're saying the church is the last place that can speak morally about sexual morality. And then you turn around, not you, I'm talking about the LGBTQ advocates, then they turn around and argue that there is no such thing as objective sexual morality, that it's all relative, that it's all a personal choice, and that there is no objective standard. Well, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to criticize the church for violating an objective standard, then you've just admit there must be an objective standard of the very thing that you claim doesn't exist. So they can't have it both ways. It's kind of like the problem of evil. You can't complain about the problem of evil without acknowledging there's an objective standard for evil, which basically means you just admitted that God is that very standard that, you, that, you're, that you're trying to refute. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, you know, I'm going to use that as a launching point of our next segment right after this time out here to talk a little bit more about children who are abused, not the ones that were that I just brought up, but children that are being abused by the LGBTQ community right now because of their own narrative agenda and self-interest. And I'll share a story with you on that. It's the story I closed my last half hour with right before you came on the air, Dr. Piper, but I want to get your thoughts on that as well. We'll continue with Dr. Everett Piper right after this. Okay, 1025, so I've got just uh, about five minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, I want to... I, you know, I, I, I talk about, chi- this is child abuse. I just, I, I'm trying to find a, a better way to say it, um, but I don't think I can. There's a featured story, uh, on, uh, in the Salt Lake City Tribune, Salt Lake Tribune, of a couple by the name of Kyle Myers, who is described as an author and sociologist, and her husband, Brett Court, Brent Courtney, who did not announce their child's gender when the child was born in 2018. Uh, preferring to call their baby a they-be. 
T-H-E-Y-B-Y, they be, as if to say this will not be a boy nor a girl. Uh, we will let the child disclose what they are when they decide what they are. Well, here we are now. The child, I guess, just turned five in May, it says. So maybe the birth was a little earlier. But they said at the time, we won't disclose Zoomer's genitals to people who don't need to know. So by the age of five, apparently, this child has decided that he is a boy. I don't know what it's what the child's anatomical and chromosomal and biological makeup is, but the child, they say, has decided that he is a boy. And I want to read this paragraph to you describing what, how they uh, raised their child to make this decision. Quote, We teach them, children, to use gender-neutral words until a person tells us about themselves. We call kids friends. We have taught Zoomer, that's the name of their child, Zoomer, sounds like a puppy, about their own body without using boy and girl labels. Zoomer understands that some girls have penises, and some boys have vulvas, and some intersex kids have vulvas and testes. Zoomer knows some daddies get pregnant. And some non-binary parents are called Zazas, end quote. Now, there's more that they said, but that gives you enough of a taste of what I'm talking about here. This child, in my opinion, is a victim of child abuse. And, and I fear as though this trendy move toward creating more children like this is going to lead to more children being abused. Dr. Piper, your reaction? It definitely is. It's child abuse. Um, intellectually, and it's abuse of the soul. Every human being has a soul, and what is the parent's primary responsibility is to guard, protect, and mold the soul of his or his or her children. Uh, the passage that you quoted from earlier, train up a child in the way he will go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'll say that one more time because I butchered that verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is our responsibility as parents to train up our children in the way they should go. And this value-neutral, hyper-self-actualization nonsense that this parental couple is experimenting with on this child, this five-year-old, is soul abuse. You know, when my boys were growing up, and when they were five, six, eight, and ten, they thought they were Superman. They thought they were Tarzan. They thought they were Barney, purple dragons, purple dinosaurs. Does that make it so? Of course not, because a child knows nothing. A five-year-old knows nothing. And quite frankly, most 13- and 14-year-olds know nothing. It is our responsibility as adults to teach them the reality of life, the truths of life, to tell them that truth is true no matter what other people believe. You know, truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false, even if everyone believes it, truth is true, and that's just the end of it. That's a quote from Oz Guinness. And, and these, these parents are teaching these, these children to believe a lie, to believe that they can construct their own reality out of nothing, and that if they are Tarzan, if they think they're Tarzan, then they are. If they're a purple dinosaur, then they are. If they're, if they're Superman, then they are. And if they're a boy or a girl, then they are. They're teaching them that if they're a cat, they're a cat. If they're a dog, they're a dog. If and this is nonsense. It makes no sense. And people that are thinking clearly need to rise up and say, not on my watch. This is wrong. There is one uh, uplifting story here uh, in response to some of this, just very briefly. A judge has lifted the suspension of a teacher uh, 
who was suspended by the school board for refusing to use transgender pronouns to describe a student or students. Judge James Plowman, earlier this month, said that Leesburg Elementary School teacher Byron Cross must be allowed to return to his job after the school's principal, upheld by the board, suspended him in late May for objecting to a proposed policy on how to address transgender students. So small victory here for the First Amendment, not forcing someone to say things that they do not believe in. Uh, but, you know, again, the fact that there was a suspension indicates the problem is still very, very large in education. Uh, the ivory tower has crumbled. My industry is greatly responsible for this. We've been teaching pablum for decades, and we now have a bunch of little monsters that are turning around and biting the hand that created them. We're the ones who created these monsters, and we're going to suffer for it. Dr. Everett Piper, phrasing it as only he can. Very well done, good sir. Thank you for the uh, double visit this week, by the way. We had you on on Tuesday talking about very important issues. We certainly appreciate that. Hope you have a great weekend to come, and we'll talk next week. All right. Blessings, Bob. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Everett Piper. It's 1031. The second hour, or half hour, rather, of this hour is wide open for you. If you've been waiting to get on the air, this is your chance. Dial now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 on the authority. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority. On AM 1420, The Answer. All right, onward at 1038 now. Wide open phone lines for you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. You know, I, sometimes people ask me you know, about my politics and, and why I'm conservative. How can you be a conservative? And... I try, like so many other people, to explain, and there are memes out there and, you know, little made-up conversations that people offer sometimes to explain the difference between progressives and conservatives or liberals and conservatives and so forth. And you've probably heard them. One of them is very loosely translated here, you know, if liberals don't want something don't believe in something, they want it banned. They want it banned so that nobody can have it. If conservatives don't like something or don't want something, they just don't buy it. It's like I said, very loose translation there. Conservatives say, live your life, be free, don't expect me to pay for it, don't expect me to have to applaud it or defend it. Do what you want to do. Liberals say, I want to do this. Conservatives say, go ahead, have at it. It's not for me. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, but I want to do it. Well, go ahead, have at it. Yeah, but I want you to support me for doing it. Well, now we got a problem. I don't have to support you for doing it. Well, then you're a bigot. You're a prejudice. You're prejudiced. You're a racist. You're a homophobe. You're a this, you're that, you're that. And that's largely the point here between the two ideologies. The left doesn't want to just be allowed to do whatever they want to do freely, whether it be, again, you know, with sexual norms, deviating from sexual norms, or, or you know, whatever the case might be that separates the two ideologically. 
they want to not only have the freedom to do what they want to do, be what they want to be, live how they want to live, they want to make sure that everybody else accepts it and affirms it and promotes it, or else they must be derided as being intolerant and non accepting and non inclusive, right? That's the, 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 the real crux, I think, of the ideological split right now. The left isn't satisfied with being given the right to do what they want to do. They want to make you have to do it with them or a clap for them while they do it. And can't speak out against it. And the latest example of that is one of the first examples of that. Jack Phillips. Because he's still being forced to fight. Jack Phillips is the Colorado baker who way back when, I want to say, when did this whole thing start? We just had him on the air uh, about a week or two ago. Um, I want to say it was around 2012, maybe? Has he been fighting for nine years? I think it is. When the gay couple came in and demanded that he bake them a same-sex wedding cake. He had served gay people before, many of them in his Colorado town. But he can't make a cake celebrating a gay wedding because that's against his religious beliefs. That's simple. He was even kind enough to say, hey, I'll send you, I I can give you the names and refer you to several other bakers in town that I'm sure will do a great cake for you. But they said, no, you have to do it. And why? Because it had nothing to do with cake. It had to do with making a Christian forego his beliefs, abandon them in order to celebrate what they wanted to be celebrated. Well, this thing, as you know, it took around six or seven years for it to get before the Supreme Court, and it finally did, and Jack Phillips won the case before the Supreme Court. But does that stop the left? No. Now we find out that a judge has ruled against Jack Phillips with the latest challenge. A transgender woman, meaning a guy, apparently filed a lawsuit against Jack Phillips because he went into Jack Phillips' cake shop and said, I want you to make me a pink and blue cake celebrating a gender transition. Jack Phillips, once again, speaking to his religious principles, said, can't do that. Here's some suggestions of people who will, but I can't participate in that. Lawsuit filed. Jack Phillips on the defense. Jack lost this one. An activist attorney comes in to demand that Jack create custom cakes and did so in order to test him and to correct the errors of his thinking. Then threatened to sue Jack. If the case is dismissed for any reason, they said they'll file a new suit. Alliance Defending Freedom General Counsel Kristen Wagoner said in a statement, Radical activists and government officials are continuing to target artists like Jack because they won't promote messages on marriage and sexuality that violate their core convictions. This case represents a disturbing trend, the weaponization of the justice system to ruin those with whom they, uh, the activists disagree. We will appeal this decision, this loss, uh, said Wagner to defend, continue to defend the freedom of all Americans to peacefully live and work according to their deeply held beliefs without fear of punishment. Judge Bruce Jones said that Phillips refused to make the cake for Autumn Scardina because of Scardina's gender identity and enforcing said that enforcing Colorado's anti-discrimination act does not violate re- Phillips' religious freedom or First Amendment rights. Quote. The anti-discrimination laws are intended to ensure that members of our society who have historically been treated unfairly, what a load of crap, 
who have been deprived of even the everyday right to access businesses to buy products are no longer treated as others. This case is about one such product, a pink and blue birthday cake, not compelled speech, Jones wrote, except for the fact that by asking Phillips to create something, something that his creative artistic talents would be applied to doing that he disagrees with would be compelled speech. Ted Cruz yesterday denounced this judge's decision, saying, quote, shameful. This is religious persecution, naked and unabashed. And it is lawless disregard of binding Supreme Court precedent. And that is exactly right. So the battle goes on. The battle goes on for religious freedom, religious liberty. And once again, ideologically, the left continues to try to force through every means possible public shaming, media humiliation, and yes, through the courts. They continue to try to push to make people who don't think think like them publicly state that they do, no matter what their convictions or beliefs or religious opinions are. If you are not a leftist and not a progressive, you will be forced to proclaim your support for progressive positions or it will cost you your livelihood, your job, your reputation, your, your friends, your business. You will think like they do or at least pretend that you do or you will be done. And that's the difference. Conservative-minded people believe in literal freedom. If you want to live your life as a different sort of abnormal type of non-entity, I'm a pansexual, I'm asexual, I'm multisectional, I'm intersectional, I'm, I'm non-sexual, I'm uh, non-binary, I'm 50 binaries, whatever the heck you want to create, go be it. We'd prefer you didn't try to indoctrinate little children into your fantasy land, just like we would prefer that you try not to tell children that unicorns are real, because they're not. They're mythical and made up. We would prefer that you not ruin children's minds with with lies and fiction. But other than that, go do what you want to do. It's just not for us. We're not going to do it. And the left, rather than saying, we'll do us and you do you, they say, no, you will do exactly what we tell you to do, or we will ruin you. We will destroy you. How can this be any less, you know, how can it be any more clear? Let's phrase it that way. This is about as clear as as it gets. The left wants you to do what they want you to do or they'll ruin you. The right just wants to be left alone. You wonder why we're conservatives. Michelle is in uh, Northfield. Michelle, you're on AM 1420. The answer, thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, The reason I I called is um, last week I dropped my son off at a camp on the west side. I I live on the east side, and... I just stopped into the Rocky River Library, and I noticed that they had a program, a story time, with a drag queen, and I was kind of shocked. Um, you know, I've heard this stories from other cities, more blue cities like San Francisco, where they have, you know, story time with the drag queen, but I never thought it would come to Northeast Ohio, and... You know, as a taxpayer, and I know I don't, I don't live in Rocky River, I live on the east side, but why would you support a library system that's pushing this narrative to small children? It's disgusting. Well, 
because of what I just got done in the last 10 minutes explaining. Um, if you don't normalize or outwardly affirm uh, these types of lifestyles, then you are being intolerant, you are being non-inclusive, and you have to be silenced. Um, I promise you that the vast majority of residents of Rocky River do not support this, but they're terrified of speaking out against it. They're terrified about speaking out against anything that the wildly radical left is promoting because the radical left will cancel them, cancel them professionally and personally and relationship-wise and in their communities and so on and so forth. And so they have to allow, they have to sit there in silence unless they find some sort of you know courage, but they have to sit there in silence as their children are taught that males dressing up like females in overtly sexual manners is normal and it's okay. And they can aspire to do the same thing as they listen to them reading story time, uh, during story time. So, uh, in my opinion, uh, Michelle, the fear that the left has put into normal people into you know to to stop them from speaking out against their radicalization and the radicalization of the children and the indoctrination of the children the fear that they've been able to come up with here is extraordinarily powerful people are just afraid to say anything to combat the um you know the popular wave uh, uh, movement that's going on it's just it's just so sad and you know i i went to our library and they're kind of pushing the same narrative with the certain books that they have out for oh, sure, especially this month, especially this okay. month, especially this month. Libraries all over the country are are featuring on their bookshelves, you know, not just on the shelves, but in their display areas, uh, pride books. In other words, you know, books promoting transsexualism, books promoting, uh, you know, all kinds of things that young children have no business, totally age inappropriate types of book titles and, and information that young children have no business being associated with. Young children don't even understand sexuality. They certainly don't understand sexual attraction. They certainly don't understand transgenderism or transsexuality, as it was once called. Uh, but this is the goal. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's only going to get worse. Because I saw a story yesterday, and I wish I don't know if I saved it or not, but I'm going to have to paraphrase it if I did not. Um, there is one school district that I saw yesterday. It's not in Ohio. That's why I wish I could find it. That has declared that their teaching of transsexual um, lifestyles and all the other things that we're talking about shall begin in pre... Oh, I found it. One second, Michelle. I found okay. it. It's Vermont. Here it is. Oh, I was I was uh, I was I was um, buying myself time there as I spoke trying to find this. Here it is: the Essex Westford School Board in Vermont reportedly voted eight to one for this new policy, which says that they will begin teaching anti-racism and LGBTQ education in pre-K, pre-kindergarten. So to three-year-olds and four-year-olds, these children are going to be taught. That the U.S., quote, would not have evolved as it has without the genocide of indigenous people, nor would have its economic infrastructure without the enslavement of native African people and their descendants. One of their goals is, quote, equity policy to inform curriculum decisions. Anti-racist education and LGBTQIA affirming education will be given to educators and their students beginning in pre-kindergarten. So there, there, you, there you have it. There you have it. 
what you're talking about with Drag Time Story Hour or Drag Queen Story Hour or Story Time or whatever it's called, and I'm talking about with books there for children who are very young but can at least read, that's not early enough. Now children who aren't even old enough to read are going to be having this stuff poured into their heads at this very, very extraordinarily important time of their of their um, uh, mental development. This is what they're going to do at pre-K level. So it's the fight isn't getting any easier. The fight is actually getting a lot harder. It, it certainly is. And, you know, I thought libraries would be, would be like, safe, you know. Pre-Ks would be safe, but it, it seems like it's just yep. seeping in. This, this vile rhetoric is just seeping in. And I feel like when I take my son to the library, I have to watch where, where he goes and, and what he sees and what he looks at because it's just disgusting. Never leave your child's side. <laughs> in a library no. seriously take them by the hand and say we're going over here and when you see things that your child should not be exposed to at this age because it's very age inappropriate you know take the child gently by the hand and move to another section because you are correct this is uh this is you know you what you were finding out is true it's not a safe place it's not a safe place for children to just be able to learn to read and to explore it is a place where they will become indoctrinated just as assuredly as they do in the classrooms all right. Well, hey, Michelle, I'm sorry to hear about, uh, and thank you for the phone call. Uh, I'm sorry to have to rather present that information to you. I appreciate you telling me about the Rocky River Library situation, but they're, you know, they're typical now. It's not even an anomaly. It's not even out, out of the norm. This is what libraries have become because this is what schools have become. And our fight is, uh, is, is getting tougher. All right, 1054. I'll be right back to wrap it up. Rainbows. Our visions, but only illusions, and rainbows have nothing to hide. Okay, 1057. I want to just real quick, uh, real quick, make an announcement uh, about an event that I'm at tonight. If you are uh, available and uh, interested in stopping by, I'll be Spending some time delivering some remarks to the um, Mayfield Heights Republican Club, uh, the Eastside GOP, a joint meeting with the Eastside GOP tonight, 7 p.m. Highland Heights Community Center. I will be there. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague will be there. I believe Congressional Candidate Laverne Gore is going to be there. And I will be speaking uh, right around 730. So if you are in the area, in the east side, and you would like to come out and say hello, I would certainly love to talk to you. We're going to talk about many of the things we're talking about today, and that is the fight that we have in front of us to defend our um, conservative values, to defend our families, to defend defend our country, which is really quite, quite simply and quite frankly under a very serious attack. Uh, last call is going to go to Ann in Rocky River. Hi, Ann. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Yes, good morning. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted to just give you a little bit of hope. Um, we are outraged in Rocky River, and we have a group. It's called Rocky River Citizens for Transparency. We are a grassroots group, and we're mobilizing. We will be at the library today. Uh, at 2.45. The presentation is a Zoom presentation uh, that I believe starts at 3. We're going to be there in very peaceful protest. Uh, we may be praying. We may just be sitting there. Uh, but we want uh, the community to know that we do not approve of this. This is very offensive to our values. Um, we did talk already to the deputy and assistant deputy of the uh, library. Uh, <laughs> it fell on deaf ears. Uh, this is a program they were committed to. They said that it represents the, quote, diversity of our community. 
Incidentally, and, I don't and, know. And I have to jump in because we're just yep. about out of time. But what time is okay. the protest today? Yes, at the Rocky River Public Library, two forty-five. Two forty-five. And people will be there to protest awesome. this uh, this program. I'm absolutely. Glad, I'm glad Peacefully. you called and Peacefully. got that information. Peaceful protest always. Absolutely. Thanks for yes. the call. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ann, and thanks to everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.